The Bible's very clear. It says, be careful for nothing. It means the word careful carries the idea of worry. It says, don't worry about anything. Don't. And when you do, it says this, but in all things by what? Prayer. It's what we just did. Supplication. That's, that's asking God with fervency. With what? Thanksgiving. Because we know God is in control. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall what? Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What prayer does, especially corporate prayer, praying with other people, is that it keeps your heart and your mind. It guards your heart and mind from fear. There's a lot of people who are losing their minds today. Their minds aren't whole. The Bible says it this way. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind or a whole mind. How many of you guys agree today that's exactly what we need? A sound mind, sound wisdom throughout this entire process, okay? Uh, there are people who are acting out and thinking irrationally today. And, and as believers in Jesus Christ, that is not the response God wants us to have. How many of you guys would agree with that? Speaking of being afraid, uh, my in-laws uh, are here, and then that's not why I'm afraid. <laughs> But what I was afraid of was asking her dad if I can marry his daughter. And uh, that was, what well, we've been married for 15 and a half years, and that was 16 years ago or so, or longer, 17 years ago, that I asked Mike Yarbrough if I could marry his, his only daughter. He only has one. And he was the warden of the high maximum security prison in Lancaster, California. And he's, and, and he's a bodybuilder. So needless to say, I was scared to death. I took him to Outback Steakhouse. I said, you know, it, it, like this could, and I had no money because I was a college student. I swiped that card hoping something would come out, and it did. And uh, I took him to Outback Steakhouse, and he's eating a steak, you know, and, he, and, uh, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, hey, Mike. Um, uh, uh, so, you know, Shonda and I were pretty serious about being together. And uh, I was wondering, I, was, I wanted to ask you, if I could marry your daughter. And he looked up from eating, and he looked at me, and his first question was, do you know how much it costs? And I said, I have no idea. <laughs> you know? And of course, he's probably thinking something else, but, but I will tell you, he asked me how much it costs, and I'll tell you, I'm still paying for it. Uh, it's, it costs a lot to be married and to have a relationship. How many of you guys understand that having any kind of relationship costs you something? Okay. If you're going to be in a relationship, look, guys, if you want to marry a girl, you got to buy a ring, right? You, you got to invest time, talent, and treasure into building up that relationship. When you're dating, when you're engaged, it doesn't take much effort, does it? You just can't wait to see each other. Uh, but, but for any relationship to thrive, it takes time. It takes treasure. It takes talent. It takes you being fully engaged face-to-face -face in that relationship for it to grow. But I will tell you, man, I was scared. I was scared to ask him because I just didn't know what he was going to say. Uh, but I want to talk to you about being rich this morning in, in good deeds, in good deeds. Um, Shonda and I would do small things for each other when we, got, when we were dating, when we were engaged. We didn't have much money, but we'd do small things for each other, you know, because that's what a, a relationship entails. We had write cards to each other. She would buy me some, uh, you know, cologne, and, and I would buy her flowers, and we would go on dates when we could. We would, we would try to do things 
together and invest in those relationships. We would sit together at events. We couldn't wait to see each other. We'd be on the phone at night. By the way, this is before we had cell phones. Before I had a cell phone, I had to be on the pay phone. Do you guys know what that is? Do you know what a pay phone is? Okay. Um, it's this phone connected to a wall, okay? And you got to put quarters in it, and then you make a call. Yeah. That's how old I am. Um, so we, we had this pay, I, I'd get on the pay phone, we'd be on the phone, and she'd be on her landline, and we'd be talking, and we'd talk till like two, three, four in the morning. Uh, and, you know, we'd just be talking and just being on, just, we just wanted to be together because we liked each other, because we were, we were in love, and we decided to love each other. And uh, being on the phone late at night, we'd be like, you go first. No, you go first. No, you, I'm not hanging up, you gotta hang up. Has anybody else been there before? That's how it was for us. I'll tell you what. Uh, you know what the best part of being married is, right? Is I get to say goodnight. I don't have to say goodbye. That's what I love best about being married. Uh, before, you know, I had to say goodbye, but every night we get to say goodnight to each other. That's my favorite part about being married is to share this life with Shonda. Let me just share this quote with you. Good deeds or small deeds done are better than great deeds planned. Small deeds done are better than great deeds planned. Why? Because great deeds planned are not done. Just because we have big intentions about being good doesn't mean that we're good or that we're rich in good works, especially when it comes to our relationship with God or to people in our community who are gripped with fear right now. We can have great plans to do things for others and for God, but smaller deeds done are far greater. Goodness cannot be separated from generosity. Goodness, showing goodness, cannot be separated from generosity. It's interesting because when I hear a woman who's asked about a potential, boy, a potential mate or boyfriend, um, they say, what about this guy? And if I hear a girl say this, she goes, oh, he's a good guy. Oh, he's a good guy. Usually means she doesn't want to be with him. And it's usually communicated in a way that means that he avoids evil, like he doesn't do bad, but he's also not a conqueror of evil as well. Like he may avoid doing wrong, but he's also not actively participating in overcoming evil. Okay, there's a lot of good guys out there, okay, who are at least avoiding doing bad things, but there are very few men out there actually overcoming evil, actively participating in reaching others for Christ or being the solution to the problem of life's issues. Um, there are three types of people out there. There's, there's the evil person. And that's a small group. The, 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 the people who are actively out doing evil. And then there's a small portion of our society that are good people that are actively out doing good, okay, feeding the poor, giving out the gospel, digging wells, uh, there's, there's very few of those people. And then there's this large group of people who talk about people who do evil and do good. There's a lot of those people out there. These are the people that are out, uh, you know, they would, they would criticize those who are doing good and they criticize those who are doing evil, but they themselves are, at, are doing absolutely nothing themselves. And I wouldn't say that that was somebody who was rich and good works. Let me just say this. Giving a tithe is the antidote to materialism, as we talked about last week, but 
good deeds or being rich in good deeds is the antidote to maltreatment. How can we be rich in good deeds? How much good have you, have you been sowing lately, in other words? How much good have you been contributing to your family, to your job, to, to your society? I think about the coronavirus. With all the hoarding and supply, people are just trying to get for themselves. How can we think of others and meet their needs as well? I'm going to read a, a passage of Scripture. I want you to turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, if you would, or Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. I want you to see these verses. And as you're sitting there online as well, we have a good number of people watching online. I want to encourage you with this. I want you to see this passage. Of what, what is this actually advocating when it comes to being rich in good works, being generous in our good works? How can we think about meeting the needs of others? I want you to see verses 6 through 10 of Galatians 6. It says, Let him that is taught in the word communicate, communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man what? So that means whatever he does, that shall he also what? Reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth of the spirit shall reap of the spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us what? Do good. Do you guys see that? As we have opportunity, let us what? Do good. To who? All men. Especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Small deeds done are better than great deeds planned. Lord, I pray you help us with this message. I pray it'd be short, and I pray that, that I would say exactly what you want to be said in this message. Lord, help it to be an encouragement to us today. And Lord, I pray that it would just shed light on the situation we find ourselves in during this time. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me just say this first of all. That what the text is teaching us is to not be deceived. It says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, whatever he does, that shall he also reap. In other words, if you sow bad, you reap bad. You with me? You sow good, you reap good. Okay, if you plant corn, what are you going to get? Corn. If you're going to plant a peach tree, what are you going to get? Not in Michigan. You won't get a peach tree. What, peaches don't grow in Michigan, do they? Do they really? Oh, man, never mind. All right. I'm not a horticulturist. Uh, citrus fruit doesn't grow here, right? Is that true? Okay, all right. There we go. <laughs> don't be deceived. Whatever you sow, that is what you're going to reap. Now, it's true that God condemns work done to try to earn salvation or to impress God or to impress others. It's true that God condemns any kind of good work or good deed to earn salvation or to impress people. Okay, Isaiah 64, 6 says it this way, but we are all as an unclean thing and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities, our sin, like the wind, have taken us Away. Look at Hebrews 9.14 says, it says, uh, How much more shall the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from what? Dead works to serve the living God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should what? Should boast. In other words, our good works do not inherit us eternal life. Our good works are not to, to impress people or to impress. God's not impressed. He goes, even all your, right, all your good works are like filthy rags in my eyes. He says, we're not to impress people with our good works, and we're not to earn our salvation with our good works. But So what are good works used for in the Christian life if it's not for those, th- those things? Let me say this. The Lord enthusiastically commends good works done for the right reason. Look at what Matthew 6, 4 says. It says thine, that thine alms or your gifts or your generosity, like we've done last week. And by the way, I have some pictures I want to show you uh, of the generosity from last week. Uh, we were able to give the family promise, and I'll tell you, it's a small little business, and, and uh, we filled up their hallway with, with all this stuff, and they were just so overwhelmed by your generosity. So thank you so much for, for bringing those things in and meeting the needs of those families. But he says, when you bring your alms in, may it be in what? In secret. So he's, in other words, he's saying, well, when you do do good works, do it in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret himself shall what? Reward thee openly. In other words, he, he commends those who do good works not to impress others or to earn salvation, but simply because you love people. Simply because you love God. That is why we do these things. So I want to just encourage you with this. Tithing and good deeds work hand in hand to de- deliver the soul from living in the flesh. Get, remember, last week we talked about giving. I, I attached a $100 bill to a balloon. I said, wherever your treasure goes, there will your heart be also, right? Okay, where you invest is where you gain. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. God wants our heart, and the only way to our heart is where we invest. Okay, so that's important for us to understand. Giving is very important in the Christian life. Okay, don't forget, by the way, during the next month or so about uh, giving, continue giving. You can give online if you're watching online, but uh, continue to support the work of God here at Grand Rapids Baptist Church. But I, but I do want to say that our good works work hand in hand with tithing to deliver our soul from the flesh. In other words, we're not thinking of ourselves all the time. We're thinking about, Lord, what do you want me to do and how can I be a part of your kingdom work? And Lord, how can I also be a miracle to somebody else? Instead of being the person who's always waiting for a miracle to come their way, to be the type of person who says, how can I be a miracle or a blessing to somebody else? What I want to do is this. I want to show you what the works of the flesh are. Okay? So in chapter 5, okay, it says in verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for these are what? They're contrary one to the other, so you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh. So remember, he says, if you, if you sow in the flesh, you reap what? Corruption. Okay? So if you, if, you, if you sow, if you do bad things that we're about to talk about, what do you get back? Corruption. Right? You guys with me? And if you sow good deeds, you also reap good as well for the most part. 
Uh, so I want to read this list to you. It's really, really profound. Look at look what it says in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery. This is any kind of sexual sin within, with, within a marriage. If you're married and you are involved in any kind of sexual activity outside the marriage boundary, it's adultery. Fornication is any kind of sexual activity when you're single. Uncleanness and lasciviousness. Lasciviousness is, it carries the idea of unbridled lust. It's just rampant. You just, you, you can't even control it. You don't even want to control it. It's just every day, all day, as the, as the people in Noah's time, their thoughts were evil continually, like they never even had a good thought. That's the idea there. They're, they're, they're lascivious. They're always thinking evil and sensually. And, and then it goes on to say idolatry. Idolatry is anything that you deem necessary for your happiness. Say, so I got to have this much money in order for me to be happy, or I got to have that thing in order to be happy, or I, I got to have that person. Or That's what idolatry at its heart, at its core, truly is. Witchcraft is... That's uh, an interesting word because it's it's the Greek word pharmakia, and it really does kind of carry the idea of of sorcery used with drugs and uh, trying to psych out the mind. Um, so it's witchcraft is involved in fleshly activity. You sow witchcraft, you reap uh, the corruption that comes from that. Um, notice else what it says: um, hatred. This is, this is the fruit of the flesh. This is what happens when you live in the flesh and not in the spirit. Hatred. Uh, variance. Variance is contention and strife. Contention. These are the people fighting over toilet paper right now at Walmart. These are the, these are the people who are, who are the uh, online keyboard warriors who are criticizing, or just causing strife and contention. They're just contentious people. They're, they're like that at work. It doesn't matter what anybody does. They're just contentious people. Okay, only by pride cometh contention is what Proverbs teaches. And there's just people who are contentious because they're in the flesh. Um, it says uh, variance, emulations. Emulations is, this is an interesting word because it, it means a contentious rivalry or jealousy. It's a contentious rivalry or jealousy. Okay, people, people get tribal and they get jealous and, and this is a fruit of the flesh. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't root for a sports team and hate Ohio State. That's okay. Uh, but, but I am saying when you, some people take it so far where they actually do hate people from Ohio. It's like, come on. Like, okay, it's just a game, all right? Uh, I know people who, get, who take this way too far um, they get so caught up in their side that they end up hating that the other side. This is how this is what what is happening in our in our political arena as well. And I want to encourage the Christian to not get in the flesh or get caught up in all of the drama, all the flesh activity online. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You know, people are so angry and mad and bitter. Hey, you be the the better person who walks in the spirit and shows uh, long-suffering to those 
who uh, the Bible says this, comfort the feeble-minded. And there's a lot of feeble-minded people out there. You just, you just comfort them, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so don't have this contentious rivalry or jealousy. I wish I was part of that team. I wish I could be part of that church, or I wish I could be part of that. Hey, just be content where you're at. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Um, notice what it says. I'm just going to continue on with this because this is so interesting. It says wrath. So notice, the, notice that these words really go hand in hand with each other, this idolatry. Idolatry breeds witchcraft, and that witchcraft breeds hatred and variance, this, this division, emulations, which is contentious rivalry. Wrath is like anger boiling up, this wrath, okay? Um, strife, people strife. Seditions, what a sedition is, is division. Seditions are divisions. The Bible teaches in Proverbs, it says, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Number four, those that cause division among the brethren, people that are divisive, people that talk about others in the church with other people in a negative light. They're just negative people. They're trying to get others on their, in their party or on their side against somebody else. Can I tell you something? If you hear somebody from your own church or who has left our church and they call you up and say, did you know about, like, oh, hold on. I don't want to be part of your fleshly division. I'm not going to be part of your gossip here. Let's, let's go to the solution. Let's go to the, let's go to the person who can actually kind of fix this. Um, by the way, it, it, we were, my wife and I were talking about a tail bearer. And, uh, you know, people, we know what a tail is. It's a, half, it's a half truth. And a lot of people bear, they take this half truth, this half story, it's half the story. If you've heard their side of the story, you never heard my side of the story, you only have half of the story. Okay? Or whoever, whoever that person's talking about, and by the way, if that person's talking bad about somebody else to you, Mark it down, they're talking bad about you to somebody else. I promise you that. But a tailbearer takes a half-truth and bears it to other people, and they cause division. Hey, I want you to be on my side against that person. How many of you guys know there's no room in this church or any other church for division like that? In fact, it even gets, <laughs> it's going to go even deeper in just a second. But they're, they're seditious. They're, they, they, they love to kind of, kind of paint pastor or the church or other people in a negative light. Look, can, I, can I encourage you? Don't be that person. And don't listen to those people. And then it says, notice what it says, seditions and heresies. Now this is an interesting word because I know a lot of people, you know, if you say something like, oh, Jesus is not God, we would all say, that's, that's heresy, okay? <laughs> of course we believe Jesus is God, but let me just, let me teach you what heresy really means. This is such an interesting word. The word heresy means this, dissension arising from diversity of opinions. Heresy means dissension arising from a diversity of opinions, okay? In other words, they're contentious over opinions, not truth, not facts, okay? but opinions. These are people who are causing division. They're getting contentious about opinions, about preferences. 
That's what, a, that's what a heresy is. A heretic is somebody who's causing division over an opinion. And I'll, and I'll tell you, you know, it's, it's so interesting how many Christians look around and be like, see that person, they're, they're doing this. They're, and this is, this is one, of the, one of the most devastating sins in a church, those that cause division over an opinion. You know, if you just if you just scroll through Facebook, I ha, I ha, my wife's like, why don't you just get off there? Because you know it's so discouraging. I'm like, well, I got to know how to answer people because they're going to ask me now. Why are we having church? Aren't don't you love the old people? Of course, I love the old people. Good night. He's like, well, don't we, don't we agree with the sanctity of life, Pastor? We gotta we gotta like, yeah, well, like we've encouraged anybody sixty and above who has health issues do not come to church. Watch online. And we've encouraged everybody, don't touch each other today. You know, we're, we're done. We're going to walk out of here. We're not going to get this, uh, this thing from the church, okay? We're going to trust the Lord. But people who cause division, they get contentious over opinions, the Bible says is a, her- is a heretic. That's what heresy really, truly is. It's so interesting, isn't it? Um, and then it says envyings, wanting what you don't have from somebody else. Murders, by the way, a lot of murder is caused by people who envy. That's one of the strongest motivations behind any murder, hating somebody. By the way, we're not just talking about actually killing somebody, but hating somebody in your heart is, is directly linked to your envy of that person. Whenever, whenever I talk, you know, young ladies hate another young lady, it's usually because she thinks she's a threat to her. She's too pretty or, you know, whatever it is. And so they get envious. There's pastors who hate other pastors because they're envious of their ministry. So they got to, because they're insecure, they got to like tear down that ministry in order to feel a little bit better about themselves, you know? It's really sad to see people living like this in the flesh. And then it goes on to say, uh, drunkenness, we know what that is. Revelings is a really interesting word because it means, it means riotous, procession of half-drunken people. It's kind of like once you're drunk, you're like, let's go out, let's just like run the town. Ah! Let's just let's like graffiti some walls and let's just do some crazy stuff, man. We'll throw some eggs at people. We're just going to have a party. And that might be funny, but this is how people live. This is, liter- this is, how, this, this is what people look forward to every weekend. Just can't wait to get drunk and do stupid stuff. That's what a reveling is. Okay? It's a group of people who are half drunk, ready to just go do dumb things. And they think that's a fun weekend. And then uh, the fruits of the flesh is uh, revelings and such like. In other words, he's saying, and anything that's like this, okay? in case I didn't cover it all, it's all of these things. Of the which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I, want, I, want to, like, I know I took a lot of time going through that list, but I, I wanted to highlight something that is so important. Notice that this list is defined by what you get. Notice that living in the flesh, so sowing in the flesh, how you decide to live your life. If you decide to live your life in the flesh, you're a consumer. You're like a virus. You are, you are like the coronavirus. 
sucking the life out of other people. That's what living in the flesh does. Like we're so, if we treated the flesh like we treat the coronavirus, our country would be doing a whole lot better today. I'm so afraid of the coronavirus. Listen, we should be afraid of what we're sowing in this life. Hatred and variance and violence and murders and strife and seditions and heresies and envies and all these things ruin us. It's the flesh that destroys. That's why Paul said, in my flesh there dwells no good thing. And so it, what happens when you're constantly living in the flesh is you're a consumer. You're, you're sucking the life not only out of yourself, but out of people that are around you. Your spouse, your kids, your coworkers. You're the person who's always complaining, causing division at work. It's so toxic. It's so ugly. And it just, it's worse than the coronavirus. It's crazy to me how many people are washing their hands when God says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. How about we clean our hearts today? I don't know. Don't, don't you wish we could clean our hearts with like a, like a hand pump? Wouldn't that be great? But how do we clean our hearts? Through the washing of the water by the word. How must a young man cleanse his way but by what? taking heed thereto according to thy word. All right, Lord, what does your word say? How do you want me to live my life? Lord, how do you want me to react to this virus that is spreading? Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I be a blessing? Now, so the first list that I just read is all about what you can get, what you can consume, what, what satisfies your flesh at the moment. That's what you sow, and the Bible teaches you'll also reap the repercussions of that. Now look at chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. Those are great things, aren't they? Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, notice that this list is defined by what you give. Now, I didn't go through those because I think we, we know what all those things are. Temperance, by the way, in that list just means self-control. There's, there's some self-control, okay? When you walk in the Spirit, in other words, you are under the flow of the Spirit, you're saying, Lord, today I'm living for you. I want you to guide my thoughts and guide my hearts today through your Word and through your Holy Spirit. You're living under the control of the Spirit. And with that comes the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy. We know what joy is. How many guys want joy? Look, joy is not the absence of the coronavirus. It's the presence of God in your life. Love, joy, peace. I mean, you guys think peace is not the absence of the coronavirus. It's the presence of God in our life. Um, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, that's power under control, and uh, temperance against such there is. In other words, we don't need the law in order to live. We live under the control of the Holy Spirit. And when you are living in the Spirit and under the flow of the Spirit, you, you are a giver. You're the person who's bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And it's not for you to flaunt off or to show others how lovely you are and how peaceful you are. It's so that when others come in contact with your life, they get to enjoy the fruit of the Spirit as well. Why are you so peaceful? You're such a loving person. Why do you love me even though I'm a sinner? Because Jesus loved me in my sin, that's why. He seems to be so gentle. 
He's not the contentious guy at work. She just seems to have a peace that passeth all understanding in the midst of her chaotic life right now. Why is that? It's because these are the fruits of the Spirit God wants us to display, especially during times like this. So you can live in the flesh if you'd like, but God's not mocked whatsoever you sow, that shall you also what? Reap. If you live in the flesh, let me promise you, your life is going to be miserable. It's like swiping the credit card. You, you get to enjoy now, but you're going to pay later. You can enjoy now, but you're going to... Listen, God's not mocked. You, you say, well, look, look I, I did this sin. It's no big deal. Look, my life's good. Nothing, I, nothing happened to me. The Bible says this, be sure your sin will find you out. There, there are repercussions for those, for those actions, Okay. But he's also not mocked when you do good. Sometimes when we do good, we're like, man, did God even see that? And I'm not seeing any kind of benefit from my good works. I just want to give up. And that's why he encourages us in that. So I want to just encourage you to sow what's good. Be proactive in what's good. And I want to encourage you with this. Don't give up. Don't give up. So, so we know what the fruit of the flesh is. You guys still with me? Okay. And we know what the fruit of the Spirit is. But I want to encourage you when you're walking in the Spirit to not give up. Don't, don't give up doing good. Don't give up walking in the Spirit. Okay. Uh, don't be weary in well-doing. Look at the verse. Um, look at verse 9 of chapter 6. It says, let us not be what? Weary. Are you guys with me today? I know I'm not, I don't have a bunch of jokes today, uh, but, but I want you to really pay attention. Let us not be what? weary. Don't get tired of what? Hey, don't get tired of doing good. You know why? Because it takes energy to do good. It takes more work to do good than it does to do evil. Don't get weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall what? Reap if you faint not. Have you ever gotten tired of doing good before? You ever thought, man, I'm just like putting everything into this relationship, or I'm putting everything into this job, and it doesn't seem to be reaping any kind of benefit. It'd be easier if I just quit. It'd be easier if I just let go. It'd be easier if I just lived in the flesh at this moment. <laughs> what Paul says is, <clears throat> don't be weary. He's saying this. He's implying that it takes work and intentionality to do good. That it takes work and intentionality to do good. Are you guys with me? Because you have to become selfless. You have to kind of mortify the flesh or crucify the flesh in order to give yourself to God and to other people, right? It's so natural, so easy to go to the store and hoard everything for yourself than it is to say, you know what? I'm going to buy a few things for myself and I want to also buy a couple of things for people who might not be able to make it to the store like the sick and the elderly. Right, when I go out after work to maybe pick up a, a chocolate bar and a flower for my wife when I go home, or to take my kid on a date because it takes so much time and energy and effort, it's, just, it's a lot of work to do these things. But it's worth it. God says, don't be weary in well-doing. It takes a lot to share the gospel with somebody. It takes a lot of energy to engage in that conversation, to face possible rejection, to, to go through the gospel, to... Uh, possibly see them saved. It's a lot of work. He says, be not weary in well-doing. He implies that it takes work and intentionality to do good. 
Listen, laziness takes the easy wrong path over the hard right one. Here's what happens is we get lazy. And I've, I'm so guilty of this many times. But laziness, I want, you, I want you guys to see this on the screen. It's supposed to be on the screen. Laziness takes the easy wrong path over the hard right one. It's easier to take the wrong path in life than the hard right one. But that's just being lazy. Think about having a bulletproof devotional life, a, a, a time set aside to, to hear from God and to hear from his word. And, and you know, I love the, I think I saw a meme the other day. It says, don't, don't say that God is not speaking while your Bible's closed. You can't say God's, God's silent on the issue if you never even open your Bible. God's like, I got plenty of things to say about your situation right now. So have a bulletproof devotional routine. Have a time set aside where you talk to God and God talks to you. He settles your soul and your heart, during, especially during times like this. But, but listen, that takes work. That's why it's, it's so much easier to pull out your phone and just go to Facebook or go to something that will think for you. When you have devotions, when you engage in a conversation with God and you listen to God, it actually takes energy and focus from you. Okay? That's why it's so easy for us to watch TV, to binge watch Netflix, to scroll through social media is because it does all the thinking for you. You don't even have to use your brain. And it's entertaining. Okay? But if you want to build that relationship with God, you have to have a bulletproof devotional life. And what about your thought life? This is really important. We talk about keeping your body under control. But what about our thought life? You know, it's easier, watch this, it's easier to worry. Worry, let me say it this way, worry is the laziness of the mind. Worry is the laziness of the mind. You find yourself worrying and fretting about everything. What, listen, what the Bible is teaching is you're lazy in your mind. It says, don't worry about it. Be careful for nothing, but in all things by what? Prayer and supplication. Now that takes work to pray and supplicate <laughs> and to thank God. And in our flesh, we're like, I don't want to do those things. But God says, well, that's because that's the hard way. But it's the best way. If you want to combat worry and anxiety, especially during the coronavirus, you have to pray. You have to thank God and direct your heart towards him. It takes intentionality and it takes work. It's easier to lust after somebody than it is to think of them as your brother or sister. It's easier to lust after what other people have that you don't than to enjoy the things you already have. It's easier to just let your kids raise themselves or let a school or a youth pastor or the TV raise your kids than it is to see bad behavior, take the time to step away, teach a lesson to them from the Bible, give them disciplinary action, and correct their behavior. That takes a lot of work. But whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also what? And when they're 16 and 17, it's too late. Okay, we're called to be their parents, not their best friend. And sometimes, if, the Bible says this, if you love your child, you chasten your child. You, you correct their behavior, not because you hate them, but because you love them. Look, if your, ch your child continues to go down a path, you know 
is going to lead to destruction and you don't correct that behavior, the Bible says you hate that child. Well, I know you feel like you love that child, but to watch them go down that path you know that leads to destruction and to the end of their own life even, okay? The Bible says as a parent, you actually hate them because love and hate in the Bible has nothing to do with your feelings. It has everything to do with your priorities, you can't say you love God just because you feel after him. You love God by making him a priority. And you can't say you love your kids just because you feel like you love your kids. You love your kids based on you making them a priority in your life. And if you're not spending time with them and training them and equipping them, the Bible says to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Train up. To train up a child takes what? It takes work. It takes work, and yes, consistent work. As you, have to be, you can't do it one time, like, oh, I did, I did what Pastor said. You know, you got to be consistent with it, okay? But it's, it's, it's the, it's the la- look, if you want to be lazy in your parenting, let, watch this. You will reap what you sow. If you want to be lazy in your thinking and lusting after things and after people, okay, you're also going to reap what you sow. You're going to start to objectify people instead of love them. You, you, you'll begin to start treating people naturally as an object that you can have instead of a person you could love. How about complaining? It, it's easier to complain than it is to give thanks, isn't it? And, and this message is so perfect for the time we're living in today. It's, much, it's so much easier to complain, isn't it? It's the lazy man's way. There's a lot to complain about. But just as much as there's a lot to complain about, there's a lot of things we can be thankful for. And it takes work to actually think about those things, to go through the thought and the action of saying, all right, Lord, I want to thank you for the sun shining today. Lord, I want to thank you for what you're doing with the coronavirus you say, we're, we're going to thank God for the coronavirus? Yes. You know why? Because this is an opportunity. This is a door that's open for us to share the gospel with people who would never hear otherwise. So instead of thinking, oh no, what's going to happen to me? Hey, Lord, how are you going to use this to reach other people for you? You didn't think you'd come to church and hear that, did you? He's like, I was going to come here and just pat you in your head and make you feel good about yourself. We need to hear this stuff, okay? It's easy to complain. It takes discipline and work to do the right thing, to think the right thing. Look what Philippians 4.8 says. Okay, this verse cannot be more profound than today, okay? Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are what? True. How many of you guys know the news today does not necessarily present the facts, they present their opinions, and you have to decide whether it's true or not? Would you guys agree with that? For the most part, the news does not actually share the facts. They share their opinions, and you have to decide whether it's true or not. A lot of people think they're actually presenting facts when they're not. Let me ask you this. What is always true? And I'm not saying not to watch the news, but, but I, I just want to make a point. What is always true? The what? The Bible. Look, if we're consuming our hearts and minds with news media and, and the scare, okay, and we're never even opening the word. Like if today's the only time you've heard the word open and read this whole time throughout this, like it's no wonder you're, 
you're confused. The Bible says, think on what's true. What is true? God's sovereign. <laughs> what is true? If I died, I go to heaven if I'm saved. That's a good thing. Now, how many of you guys think we need to be practical? I'm not saying we just go out and try to contract the virus. Well, we'll just all get it. Who cares? I'm not saying that. But whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are what? Honest. Things that are what? Just and pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of a what? Good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, what's it say? Think on these things. Okay? If you think badly, you're going to react that way. If you're always thinking all the negative things that could happen, how many people are going to die? What's going to happen? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my job? Uh, what if I go to the store and there's no more food left? And you're constantly worrying and fretting about all the things that might be. The Bible says, the Bible teaches that, an un, that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You become so unstable and you begin to lose your mind. There's no soundness of mind for a person who's not thinking this way that we just read. He says, think on these things. So it's really interesting because he says in Galatians, it says, be not weary and well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not, right? Okay, this, is re this was really helpful when I, when I heard this a long time ago. But imagine you sowed something bad. Imagine you did something bad, okay? And let's just pretend you did it right here. You did something bad, you thought something bad, whatever it was, and you started to reap the repercussions of it. Let's say you gambled all your money away. You gambled all your money away. Now there's, there, is so, there is some reaping of that, right? Now you can't pay your bills. You lost your house. Your wife left you. Your kids are upset. There's a lot of repercussions that happens to somebody who's in a gambling habit. Okay, I'm just using that as an example. Okay, So here's a person they gambled all their money away, and here is the fruit of it. It's this big, long line that they're having to pay for, okay? God's not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he what? He's reaping. He's reaping. Now, let's say in the middle of him reaping those bad, those, uh, the, the bad fruit from that, okay, that in the middle of all that, he gives his life to Christ. God transforms his heart and his mind. He starts to sow good things. And so in the middle of him reaping all this bad, he starts sowing good. He's going to church, reading his Bible, having his heart settled by the Holy Spirit. He's building up those relationships back with his wife and with his kids, and he's making better choices. And, but yet, does that eliminate the consequences of, of what he did when he gambled all his money away? No. But what the Bible teaches is, be not weary in well-doing. Let's say he, he started to sow good things. For in due season he shall what? Reap if you what? If you don't give up. In other words, the repercussions of your sins do have eventually an ending point. So if you, if the guy who gambled his money away started to make better decisions, gave his life to Christ, at some point all of the pain and repercussions of those decisions will taper off, maybe not go away completely, but will taper off, and he'll begin to benefit from the sowing of the good eventually. So the Bible is saying there are times as a Christian where you're reaping what you sowed 10 years ago and those bad decisions, 
but at the same time, you're also reaping some good from the good decisions you've, you've made. How many of you guys, guys know what I'm talking about? For some of you, you're like, man, I got like good and bad stuff happening right now from decisions I've made in the past. That's okay. It says, don't get weary in well-doing for in due season. You're going to reap if you faint not. Continue to pray. Continue to look to God. Continue to be a doer of good works. Be rich in good works. Is everybody with me today? Don't give up, in other words. Don't give up because you'll start reaping eventually down the road. And lastly, I want to share this. Don't look, overlook others. <laughs> Don't overlook others. Now, I want you to see this. Look in verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, if we have an opportunity to do this, let us what? Do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Okay? Do good to all men, especially those who are saved. Remember I talked about the beginning of the message. I said, you know, when a woman says, oh, he's a good guy. It means he's a, he's a guy most likely who's, who avoids evil, but he's not somebody who is a conqueror of good, who overcomes evil with his good, who's actively trying to better his community, to spread the gospel, to enhance the life of others. So, the Bible says, when you have an opportunity, do good to all men, especially those who are saved. And so, and so like I've said in the last few weeks, instead of waiting for some, somebody to bless you or some miracle to come your way, you could be a blessing to somebody else. You could be their miracle. And that, in turn, will bless you and will bless them. You know, it's so interesting, isn't it, that Jesus took the opportunity to meet our greatest need. What was our greatest need? Was it, was it for a virus to go away or a sickness to go away. You see that many times throughout the New Testament where he didn't heal everybody. But he did meet their greatest need and their greatest need was salvation. Every person's greatest need, if you're watching online, we have a lot of people online watching, their greatest need right now is salvation. Everybody's greatest need right now is salvation. Jesus took the opportunity to meet our greatest need. He stepped into this sin-infected world and gave us a cure. And that cure is his own son, Jesus Christ, who died upon a cross, shed all of his blood on Calvary's hill 2,000 years ago for the payment of your sin. The greatest virus, the biggest virus that spread upon, among mankind still exists today and you can't get rid of it unless you, unless you trust Christ as your personal Savior. He's the antidote to our sin problem. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that your, your sin is cleansed. You're, you're made whole by the precious blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. How many of you guys are thankful that although we have this virus called sin, that there is a solution, there's an antidote. There's a way for, a, for us to be cured I like what John 3 teaches. Our teenagers are going through the book of John and they were in John 3 this week. And, and in the Old Testament, the children of Israel, bitten by, they were being bitten by poisonous snakes and, and God told Moses to lift up this brazen serpent. And when he lifted up the brazen serpent, anybody who had been bitten by the poisonous snake, if they looked upon the brazen serpent, were healed. And those who didn't look on the brazen serpent were not, they died. And he said, just like them, the Son of Man shall be lifted up. And he was lifted up on a cross. 
And he says, those that look upon Christ will be healed of their ailment, their disease called sin. And those who don't look on it will die in their sin. The Bible says it this way. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son has not life at all. And the only person you and I can look to during tumultuous times like this is Jesus Christ. Jesus says, Look unto me, the author and finisher of the faith, who for the joy endured the cross, despised all the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's sovereign, he's in control, and when you put your faith and trust in him, he calms all the fears and anxiety that people have. You begin to live in the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness, all fruit that you cannot purchase with money. You can't go get at the store. You can't, go, you can't borrow from a friend. All the things that humans need today more than anything else only come from the, from the person of Jesus Christ. They come from God. And as a believer, especially, this is true. I want, I want to encourage you that throughout this week, whatever your fear, your heart's overwhelmed, look to the rock who's higher than you. Look to Jesus Christ, and he'll, he'll give you exactly what he promises, love, joy, and peace. And if you're listening online, you're sitting here today, and you're like, I want that joy, and I want that love, and I want that peace, can I tell you, you can only have it through Jesus Christ. So this, this whole thing, this whole chaotic scene that we're living in right now may be why you're listening online, why you're sitting in this auditorium today. And you wouldn't have otherwise heard this message unless all this was happening. And I want to encourage you to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I want to tell you this, that it's not the prayer, it's not you praying that saves you. It's you believing in your heart that Jesus is God, that he died on a cross, that he rose again after three days of being buried from the grave. And that through that sacrifice, he paid for your sin and for mine. And that there's no good work that we could do, only that we trust in the good work that he did upon the cross. And when you put your faith, your trust, you trust in what he did for you 2,000 years ago, the Bible says you shall be saved. The Bible says it this way, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You shall be saved. And what I want to encourage you to do is you could pray right there in your seat, right there in your living room, right there in your kitchen, wherever you're watching, and you can pray and ask Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior. And I just want to say this one last thing before we go. If you're a Christian, you're a believer, can I encourage you to do this? Instead of fretting about what you're going to miss out on, what you can get throughout the week, can I encourage you, think about how you can be rich in good works with somebody else. How can I be a blessing to my neighbor? Who, who, needs, who needs some toilet paper? How can, I, how can I go minister to somebody this week who's gripped with fear? 